Welcome to What The Health, a podcast where we explore the key health issues that are often dismissed. I'm James Jensen, a functional medical practitioner and owner of Hella Health, a holistic clinic focused on treating the root cause of issues rather than the symptoms by connecting the dots and giving you practical and evidence-based solutions. And I'm Julie Johnston, one of James's clients, and I also happen to be his PR consultant who, let's be honest, basically strong-armed him into doing this podcast. So if you've been going around in circles, feeling dismissed and not getting the results you deserve, then you're in the right place. Because as you always say, James, just because something is common doesn't mean it's normal. Exactly. So let's drill down to what's really going on. All right, James. So we've all heard the phrase, you are what you eat. Uh, And we know that this couldn't be more accurate. So um, we know that our bodies require the proper nutrition to function properly. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about nutrition and the role that that plays in our bodies? Yeah, so nutrition is obviously a really key foundational part of health. So it's where we get all our nutrients from. So things that we're eating and, you know, putting into our body. And I guess I always like to use the car analogy. You know, if we're putting the wrong fuel in the car, it's not going to work properly. And, you know, with nutrition, if we're putting the right fuel into our bodies, it's going to work really, really well. Makes perfect sense, really, doesn't it? Um, But obviously, you know, we're not as disciplined as we maybe could be. Um, What are some of the consequences that we do find when people aren't, you know, hitting all those right nutrients? Yeah, well, I guess it's anything and everything in between with, you know, when it comes to health. You know, like like I often say to people, if you don't have the right nutrients, that's going to affect your chemistry within your body. So, you know, there might be things like hair loss. There might be things like you know, irregular periods, there might be, you know, things like fatigue, you know, you might have poor gut health. So anything you can really think of is going to be affected by nutrition, which is it, which is why it's one of those, you know, key foundational things that, that we absolutely have to get right. And I think that's why anyone that works with, you know, someone to improve their health, if they're, you know, ignoring nutrition, they're really missing a big part. And if you're focusing on nutrition, it's one of the biggest and best levers that we can pull to really maximize someone. Yeah. And what sort of effect does it have on like our immune system? Yeah. So there's, I guess, key things like, um, you know, zinc and vitamin D, which are essential for white blood cells. So our white blood cells are like our army that go and fight infections. So if we're low in zinc, for example, we just can't make those white blood cells. So you'll see people that are getting sick all the time. You know, other things like zinc deficiency can, you know, relate to poor wound healing or recurrent infections. Um, you know, again, I, I spoke about vitamin D, which is something you, I guess, can eat, but it's primarily from the sun, but it does fit into that nutritional category. Um, but yeah, vitamin D is, is really, you know, we call it vitamin D, but it's a hormone actually. So it, it really regulates inflammation. It's regulating immune system. You know, it's a really common thing that we often fix for people to, to boost their, you know, their energy and their mood. And Quite often if I've got someone that says, hey, James, I'm suffering from depression, that's one of the first things that I think of, especially because even though we live in you know, North Queensland and in Australia where we think, gosh, we're getting plenty of sun mm. and we're always told to slip, slop, slap and avoid the sun, but that can sometimes lead to vitamin D deficiency. And I would say it's one of those key things that I'll test with every single patient that we can. And quite often it's low. And, you know, the reference range for vitamin D is between 50 and 150 nanomoles per litre. 
but most people feel a massive improvement in the way their body functions, you know, when that vitamin D gets north of 100. So if you're getting like day-to-day sun, if you think about someone that's like a, you know, works indoors, but they, you know, they'll walk to and from their um, car or they'll hang out the washing, that often gets them sort of around that 60 to 70. And then, you know, again, it can be really low-hanging fruit to really optimize someone's energy or their mood. So vitamin D is a really big one. Yeah, wow. It is a um, really tricky one to navigate, isn't it? Because we know that, you know, particularly in North Queensland, skin cancer is, um, you know, such a prevalent thing here. We have to be so careful. So, um, but finding that right balance and so having those supplements can really help there. Yeah. So, and I know, um, you know, in terms of people with autoimmune diseases and things like that, like, so nutrition plays a really big part there. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So, Autoimmune conditions are really, I guess, well, they are conditions of the immune system. So we know that anything that pushes on the immune system um, is going to see like a, I guess, a negative or a worsening of any sort of inflammatory or autoimmune condition. So any food that is potentially inflammatory, which is usually, I guess, those common things that we might think of, so like gluten or dairy, um, they're going to create a lot of, I guess, disruption in the gut, which often can be like without symptoms. So people might eat those things and not really necessarily get bloated or gassy or, you know, feel any sort of discomfort. But one of the mechanisms that they do have is they activate a protein in the gut called zonulin. And zonulin tells the cells in the gut to separate. And so if those cells separate, the barrier between your immune system, which is inside the body and the outside world, so where our, you know, food moves through and the bacteria are in our gut, that barrier that's normally protecting, like I say to people, it's like locking your front door. If that front door's wide open, the immune system's more likely to say, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. Mm. So our nutrition, if we're not getting it right, we're, we're going to see a worsening in, you know, any of those sort of autoimmune type conditions. And, you know, I've got countless examples of people that were on medications for autoimmune conditions, you know, especially things like rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis and, simply by taking some things out of their diet or, you know, healing their gut or getting these nutrients right means that they don't need to take those medications. Mm. Okay, interesting. And so in terms of now, I know you mentioned before about testing people. Um, So how does it sort of work when people come into your clinic to see you, you know, and they're suffering from things like that lack of energy or um, having fertility issues, their low immune system or, you know, fatigue, things like that? How are you then, like, because for some people they would probably think that they are eating really well and getting enough nutritionally. How are you diagnosing them and what are you then doing to treat that? Yeah, so a lot of, uh, I guess, the fortune of, you know, when you work in that alternate um, and holistic space is you often get a pretty good grasp around people's symptoms and what deficiencies that might relate to. Mm. So a lot of it is asking questions and I'll get a pretty good hunch based on their symptoms of what might be low. And that will sort of then lead me into certain testing. There's some things that are really quite obvious to me from the get-go. So for example, if we're questioning vitamin D and, you know, someone says to me, oh, look, I never get in the sun. Mm. Or, you know, I've had a history of melanoma or skin cancer. So I I never go in the sun. Or if I do, I'm covered head to toe in sunscreen and Mm. hats and long shirts. So I'll straight away go, well, they're unlikely to be having good levels of vitamin D. So, Mm. you know, that... In that scenario, we can be pretty safely, you know, prescribe something like vitamin D if their symptoms match up. Um, 
but otherwise, yeah, we'll certainly do testing. And you know, I guess the most common deficiencies that I that I do see in people, um, and I guess it's similar to any country in the world, or you know, certainly around Australia, we'll often see you know iron as being a major um, deficiency. It's definitely in the top two deficiencies worldwide. Iodine's another common deficiency that we see. Um, zinc, like we've spoken mm. about already, vitamin D, and we'll also see B12 deficiency. And those nutrients combined are really, really powerful for changing lots of body processes. So a lot of the time, it's for me, it's about, you know, they might come in with all these wonderful or different sort of symptoms or problems mm. that they have, but we just start correcting those deficiencies and then the body goes, hey, I know what to do. I just need the right tools to do it. Yeah. So as we replete those nutrients and, you know, whether we discover them through testing um, or again, like I said, if I've got a pretty strong hunch, we'll often, you know, prescribe things off the bat. And once we get that chemistry right, that's where the magic happens. And um, I, I guess sometimes I look like a bit of a magician because, you know, do some really basic stuff and, you know, some great things happen. Yeah, and it's amazing um, how they can start to feel well really quickly when those changes are made. And I think, you know, you made an interesting point before when you were talking about like blood testing and things like that there is what's considered a normal range that uh, most GPs kind of go off and say yep you're in the normal range for that but in actual fact you might be at the bottom end of that range and whereas if we can get you back up to the top end of that range that can make an incredible difference too. Yeah it's a really good point you bring up because the reference ranges that we see on with pathology labs is really population data so it's, it's about diagnosing disease. That's what those reference ranges are there for, mm. as opposed to like what's optimal. So yeah. just because it's in range doesn't mean it's optimal and it doesn't mean that that's exactly, you know, what you need. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's really about looking at the whole picture. So like a good example would be um, when I'm looking at B12. So the B12 uh, reference range is really broad. So it goes mm. from 250 to 800. So if you're at 300, you're you know, bang, and, you know, sort of considered normal. Mm. But then I can cross-check that with a thing um, called MCV, which is mean corpuscular volume, which is the size of your red blood cells. So the size of your red blood cells is limited or governed by your B12 status. So I might see someone in the range for B12, but I might see that their MCV is out of range. Mm. So I'll go, well, functionally for them, they're going to do better with a bit more B12. Yeah. And then when I talk to them about their symptoms, so if they're getting pins and needles or headaches or bruising easily, I go, that makes complete sense to me. Mm. They've got signs and symptoms of B12 deficiency. I can see it in their pathology, even though they're within range. Yeah. You know, we replete that B12 and then like, oh, my headaches are gone. My bruising stopped. Yeah. So yeah, it's um, quite fun, actually. Yeah, and it's not that GPs are necessarily missing things. It's just that extra time to look at it holistically. And um, one of the things I know you also do, because you've done this to me in consultations um, and when I've you know brought my kids to see you, you'll often look at the tongue and fingernails and things like that. Tell us about the little clues that that um, gives you for nutritional deficiencies. Yeah, so again, that's another... Um, I guess another tool that we have in our toolkit and so nails will often tell us a lot so if we're seeing lots of ridging you know that can be related to poor minerals um, or poor mineral absorption so then I'll be going oh we might have you know maybe we're not eating enough mineral rich foods or is it a problem with the digestion um, a really common one to go back to zinc is white spots on nails people go oh I just thought that was just me mm. um, 
So yeah, we'll we'll often see the white spots in the nails, which relates to zinc deficiency. Um, tongue tells us a lot as well. I mean, it's it's certainly not the only thing that I'll look at, but it it just I guess the all the little things that you sort of add up help give you I guess that information that you need to be concrete. But you know, B twelve deficiency often you'll see scalloping on the edges of the tongue. You know, again, we talked about minerals and and low digestive enzymes. You'll often see a crack down the middle. Mm. You know, if the tongue's got bit of a white coating we might suspect candida so looking at physical symptoms um, is really really important to me yeah yeah yeah, no I know um quite often I have a look at my tongue in the mirror now and um yeah wonder what it's telling me so (laughs) it is quite fascinating um and so in terms of how we treat it you know like you know what are you recommending to people in terms of the diet that they're you know uh, what food they're eating yeah, so I often get people to, I guess, list to me what they're eating. So rather than say, oh, look, you need to be eating X, Y, Z and ignoring what their taste preferences and things like that are, I'll look at what people are eating for a get-go. And then what I'll do is I might say, hey, look, this could probably be better. So let's start with swapping this out. Um, or it could be just like a lack of whole foods. So if we're eating lots of processed foods like we talked about earlier – they often create a lot of inflammation. So I'll always start with focusing on whole foods first. So if we're eating whole foods, they're in the form that our body knows and wants. So if we think about, you know, I guess if we go back to sort of like a caveman style, we didn't have McDonald's to go to. Mm. We didn't have a supermarket where we could grab all these wonderful processed and convenient foods. So if we get food back into its whole form, the way that we would sort of, as close as we can to nature, our body knows exactly what to do with that. And it's less likely to cause trouble and it's most likely to have all those nutrients that we need because processing does reduce some of the nutrient content. So that's why we'll always start with getting people to go with whole foods. Sometimes that's about taking things out and, and I guess replacing with something more wholesome. But it's, it's often as simple as it sounds. Mm. You know, it's really just looking at the basics and without doing all these elaborate fancy meal plans. You know, a common thing is that people aren't eating enough protein, for example. So, you know, if someone's having trouble with their hair, they might be under eating their protein. Yeah. You know, so it's just about looking at those things and rather than saying, oh, you need to eat X amount of calories and we need to hit certain macronutrient values. It's just about doing the basics and if everyone sort of focuses on a whole food diet, they're going to be 80% of the way there. Yeah. And of course, one of the challenges we have nowadays, I suppose, compared to several generations ago, um, is is soil health, you know, the, what our vegetables and fruits are growing in. And I know um, a couple of years ago, you got really excited and interested and we've had some really fascinating discussions about soil. I never thought we'd get so excited talking about dirt. But, you know, sometimes the soil that our vegetables and fruits are growing in, that's lacking some of the nutritional component, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess that comes back to, I guess, farming practices. So our topsoil where, you know, fruits and vegetables are growing in, that's really where we should um, be maximising. Well, the fruits and veggies are relying on, you know, the soil to be good to have those, Mm. you know, that nutritional content. And sometimes when we're like fertilising for a crop, that can displace other nutrients. Um, There's bacteria in the soil which liberate and activate certain nutrients. So we know that with the farming practices that we've had and increases in, um, you know, tillage and, you know, use of pesticides, that's displacing a lot of the nutrients that we used to have historically. And, you know, if, if anyone talks to their grandparents, for example, or, you know, their parents, they 
they will always say, you know, the tomatoes taste different now. Mm. You know, the carrots taste different now. And that all comes back to, like you say, things like soil quality. And I guess that's also why we're seeing so many nutritional deficiencies in people, even if they're eating well. Yeah. Yeah. And and eating seasonally too, you know, like traditionally everyone ate seasonally. So, um, you know, and so I guess that's, you know, what we want people to understand that, yes, you might be doing all the right things, but, you know, there are now sometimes barriers that are still affecting the nutritional intake. So that's where supplements can be really useful. And when we say supplements, we want good quality um, health practitioner recommended supplements. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, the quality of supplements available for people yeah so we'll always try and correct nutritional deficiencies with food first but Mm. for some people um, that's just not going to work so again the practitioner brain like ranges that we use they are high quality and they're lower in what we call excipients so they're the other things that um, are contained within the supplement so for example you know you might get a a zinc supplement but it's going to have other excipients with it Mm. so the other excipients can be not so helpful for us. So the practitioner brands have really low excipients. Um, you know, other examples can be dosing. So sometimes the dose might need to be higher. Yeah. And the average person, you know, walking into a shop and buying a, a vitamin, they don't really know what dose they need. And certainly, I mean, that's an advantage where if I've got someone's pathology in front of me and I can see what their levels are i'm going to be able to say you need 50 milligrams or you need 100 milligrams Mm. um so that's a really um important thing because overdosing is not great either is it you know on some things more is not always better yeah yeah and so yeah definitely dialing in with um good quality vitamins and supplements is is a great source or if we're just trying to improve overall nutritional content i'll always go for like whole food products so if it's like a greens powder for example that's a nice food-based way to get some of those extra nutrients in rather than, you know, saying, oh, you need to take a multivitamin, for example. Yeah, and they can just be added to smoothies or just added with water or, you know, your milk of choice for some of those. Is that right? Yeah, so certainly that's a great way for kids that are a bit bit fussy, you know, rather than sort of make them eat their beans and broccoli and all these vegetables. If we can put it in a bit of a smoothie, it's a great way to um, hide some of those things and, and, you know, boost their nutritional content. Um, so yeah um, and you know one of the things that we always talk about is you know eating the rainbow so if you're eating a variety of different colored foods and vegetables you're going to get lots of little different nutrients and that is um, a great way to I guess help your gut as well because all those different um, plants and the fibers that you're eating they're all going to feed different species which improves gut health which improves nutrient absorption and then you see that like a massive improvement in a lot of people just with you know, eating the rainbow. Yeah, fantastic. Um, some really great advice there, James, in helping people understand if they might have a nutrition deficiency, how they can get diagnosed and some of the treatment options available. So thank you for that. So moving on to a couple of our frequently asked questions today. Um, Hi, James. Could my contraception be the cause of my mood swings and acne? I've been on it for about six months and I'm having bad headaches and brain fog as well. Well, I guess the short answer is categorically yes. Um, we commonly see this. So I guess not everyone understands the fact that, well, I've got a bit of a saying that your hormones can hijack your brain. Mm. So in a normal menstrual cycle, so that's without contraceptives or anything altering your hormones, 
we get these lovely ebbs and flows of hormones, although not well, everyone. We sure do. <laughs> although, yeah, lovely mightn't be the term everyone would use. <laughs> nope. But um, with, with a really well-balanced cycle, it's a lovely benefit. So, for example, mid-cycle where progesterone is really starting to peak, we get um, a nice surge of dopamine activity. So it makes you feel happy, safe, calm, in control, motivated, improves libido. Um, and estrogen as well can be really beneficial in excess. It can also mimic low serotonin. So if our hormone balance is out of whack, that's why I say, you know, key times like perimenopause or menopause or starting something that alters your hormones, the hormones can then therefore hijack your brain. Yeah. So that's one part. And the other thing that many people also don't realize is that most contraceptives hold copper in the body. And what copper does is it actually kicks zinc out. So they have a bit of an antagonistic um, relationship with each other. So if we have really high levels of copper compared to zinc, that has a profound effect on our neurochemistry. And that's a, a really big thing that we'll often see. So someone might be on the pill, for example, for you know six to eight months and they might feel like it's fine. And then all of a sudden these, you know, anxiety might start to creep mm. in or a bit of depression might start to creep in. So one element of that could be, you know, the fact that they're not getting that I guess I'm going to say lovely, again, mm. ebb and flow of those hormones. Or it could be the fact that the neurochemistry's had enough time to then get out of whack just through a simple um, change in that zinc copper ratio, which again comes back to like proper testing. So that's why, you know, if, if we're testing zinc, I'm always going to test copper alongside it to see what that ratio is. So if a patient came to you with that, um, you know, to discuss this, like is that where, you know, you can help find uh, a balance for them where they, you know, they can still be using contraception, but um, I guess pulling those other levers so that they still feel well. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it for some people they go, look, it's if it is that, I don't want to have, you know, anything to do with the pill. Mm. You know, you can look at alternative contraceptive methods, um, some women, for example, might prefer to use something like a marina instead of the contraceptive pill. The marina is um, generally locally acting, although we do see some sort of systemic side effects, so it's not perfect. Um, it still does that same thing with zinc and copper. Yeah. But one benefit is that you still ovulate with the marina. Yeah. So you're still getting the ebb and flow of the hormones, which can be really, I guess, nice for a female. Yeah, yeah. I think there's certainly um, an entire episode we could uh, do on that topic. So we'll move on to our next question for today. Are there lifestyle changes or dietary supplements that can promote hair growth in males? Well, um, as a male with a receding hairline, I wasn't going to say anything, James. Um, maybe I'm. Maybe it seems like I'm. Uh, you know, if I give advice, I might seem like, what would I actually know? Did you write the question, James? Did you send the question through to me? <laughs> no, well, I guess maybe it's a FAQ for all the listeners. That's but, right. Um, but yeah, so depending, so a lot of males will suffer, I guess, what we call male pattern baldness. So that might be, you know, starting from, you know, the crown or it might start with a receding hairline like it is in my case. So again, there's no real magical cure for that but a lot of that is related to an increase in dihydrotestosterone so some men have a genetic sensitivity to dihydrotestosterone so dihydrotestosterone is a sub metabolite of testosterone and dihydrotestosterone dihydrotestosterone is actually quite good for growing muscle and i guess giving us those masculine traits that we like so that's why often 
you know, if we sort of jokingly say, I call it the bikey hormone. So like big, burly, greasy, acne, hairy. Um, but often there's an overconversion of testosterone to dihydrotestosterone that can occur. And that enzyme called 5-alpha reductase, which is responsible for that. There are things that we can do to modify that. So for example, to go back to our good old friend zinc, if you're low on zinc, you'll overconvert testosterone to dihydrotestosterone. So for some men, it's about just simply getting those levels right. Um, there are other herbs like saw palmetto, which is really good for reducing that. Um, you can do it naturally, but it takes a fair bit of effort. So you need to use quite a few high doses of certain nutrients and things like that to really um, get on top of it. Some men will respond much better to other than others. Um, for me, I don't really care enough to put that much effort into it. Um, now that I'm happily married with a beautiful wife, I'm... <laughs> she loves you just as you are, James. That's right. That's what she tells me. So, um, but yeah, there's definitely things you can do. And I guess like anything, the earlier the intervention, the better that it is. But yeah, for some people, we can even do like hormone testing to say, yep, absolutely. Look look how high that dihydrotestosterone is. And then we can, I guess, tailor the, the regime depending on that. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, James, once again, absolute wealth of knowledge and it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and thank you for sharing all your knowledge with everyone. Thanks, Julie. We hope you enjoyed this episode of What The Health. If you want to keep hearing more, follow us on the Apple Podcast app where you'll be notified every week when we drop a new episode. And if you love the show and want to support us, feel free to share this podcast with your friends and family or go and leave us a review. Yes, please help us make Julie's life easier when she's trying to market this podcast. Of course, it would be remiss of me not to mention that you can go book a consultation in person or online with James to discuss all your health concerns. Head on over to www.hellohealth.au. Plus, you'll get free postage on any products you purchase. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.